you could walk around every day thinking I'm going to say something to change someone's life today. But, you know, though you don't create those moments. You can be available for them. Um, you can be the type of person no matter. I mean, you, there's hundreds, thousands of people that what you've done has changed their life or impacted their life. And I think our goal is just to be available to who we are, to be true to ourselves. And then we're going to have the impact that we're supposed to have. And, and that's what I truly believe. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. Myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on the podcast button and you can learn all about the show. And as always, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, you can hit the find a trusted professional and we'll make sure you get connected with someone who is able to deliver you value like we've been doing for our clients for many years, not just in the Fort Worth area, but all over the planet. But you're not here to talk about real estate. Today, we are here to talk about my good friend, Urshel Metcalf. How you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing great, brother. Glad to be here with you. Man, I'm glad you got <laughs> to come, fellow Marine. Right. Right? That's right. You're a retired Marine. I know. I'm just tired. Uh, tired, <laughs> tired, tired. But you got out as a gunny, right? I got out as a gunny, but in 13 yeah. years. So but in 13 years. Man, you're on the promotion track. Yes, like, sir. fast. Yes, sir. Well, before I start every one of these, uh, I have to do a dumb joke. Okay. And I do that because it drives my father-in-law nuts because he made a suggestion over a year ago. We've been recording for over a year. Yes, sir, really you have. I've been watching since the first Man, one. Man, <laughs> I appreciate that. So you're the one that downloaded That's it. That's it. Right? <laughs> All right. I wonder who the one subscriber was. So uh, so I, I, I like to make these as, as bad as possible. What is the smartest insect? The smartest insect. Boy, my son's going to be disappointed if I don't get this. You got me. I don't know. A spelling bee. A spelling bee. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And here we are, <laughs> disappointing everybody on my uh, stand-up comedy routine moving forward. So you and I have known each other for many, many years. And I was thinking about this the other day. Is You and I actually met at HG Supply when some of the guys I did my MBA with were doing uh, a week, it was a weekly or monthly, bi-week, I can't remember, but it was like a happy hour they were doing there quite frequently. Yes, sir. And you and I ran into each other, and of course it doesn't take very long for <laughs> two United States Marines to figure out they're Marines. Yeah. And with that continued brotherhood of, you know, even if we didn't serve together, we earned the same title. And That's right. we instantly connected and We've been hanging out since. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember that meeting. Of, um, you look you know. really good. You got a nice <laughs> suit on. I remember that. I was like, man, that's a sharp dress guy. Oh, yeah. man, yeah, I, I, I love it. D. Jones was my tailor back then. <laughs> <laughs> they made all my suits. And so, yeah, no, that was a, a, a great group of, of guys and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on. You know, I came out here to Fort Worth and, and said, man, these guys, the veterans out here in Fort Worth work together a lot better than the on the other side in Dallas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that you say that is Metroplex Marines mm -hmm. that is over there in Dallas. Yeah. You, you're, you're real familiar with them is it was really interesting is when we started Cowtown Warriors back in 2013, it was because 
there's a lot of Marine Corps things going on over here in Fort mm-hmm. Worth, be it the base, be it Lockheed, Bell, and all these other places that they were like we're really surprised that the Marines don't, haven't really gotten together to really embrace mm. this net, networking deal. Right. And right. Uh, and so we did. And then since then, it's, man, it's great. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Donnie, you yeah. know, he's, he, you know, he pretty much knows everybody on the planet. So he's yes, been sir. really good at connecting folks. And we, and, and it's been really fun to watch over, you know, the last decade of hmm. how veterans are coming together. And, you know, and of course, we're always going to be biased for, you know, the Marines. Absolutely. And uh, this, so I, you know, with one of my companies is a uh, real estate fund. Right. And so we're buying a bunch of real estate and whatnot. And, and so some of the properties that we buy are off campus. Uh, student rentals in places. Okay. And so most of the landlords would be scared to talk to these parents and I talk to them all the time. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm not only an owner landlord, but I've got a sophomore in college again. Right. Right. <laughs> she didn't get enough out of her first sophomore year. She had to do it again. <laughs> Actually, she's doing really, really great. And uh, and so, but when I was talking with these parents, you know, I, I go on to explain to them, say, look, you know, you know, because they always go, thank you for your service. I'm like, hey, thanks for being worth it. You yeah, know, absolutely. and, and uh, you know, and I try to explain to them is what makes Marines different, right, mm. is, you know, less than 1% of the population is ever on active duty or reserves, right? right. People don't realize exactly that out of 350 million people living in this country, like there's not a lot of people that are on active duty or in reserves that are here to protect from good and evil, or right. protect from evil utilizing good, right? right. And uh, and as veterans, we only make up a little more than five percent of the population, which is dwindling quickly because there are maybe a handful of World War II right. vets, not a lot of Korean vets, and then of course you know Vietnam vets have been dying off left and right Absolutely. with everything. So I told him, so I said, when I see another fellow veteran, you know, I'm always very connected. But what makes Marines special is nothing is given to us. Yeah. We earn it every step of the way. And that's what allows our methodology, brainwashing, whatever other people might call it. All that good stuff. (laughs) All that good stuff is that that's why we're dedicated. It's why we're wired is because we weren't given the title we earned that title and it doesn't matter what your job was in the marine corps you know whether you're the person that signs checks or you're the person who's flying f-18s everybody earns the same title and that's what makes us so interconnected and so if there's anybody that truly understands brand Mm. and service right I would say it's Marine Corps. Of course, I'm biased being a marine absolutely yeah and and you know it's just and, and and that's why I always get excited when I have a fellow Marine on the show here. So, and on that, let's let's start. Where did your journey begin? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And who 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 got you to sign the contract to dedicate 13 years of your life? Yeah. So originally from Dallas, and uh, spent a little time in the Hill Country. My dad was a chef, so we traveled a little bit. He became a head chef at a nice little country club down there in Marble Falls called Horseshoe Bay. And um, so I spent nine years down there and then came back to the Metroplex um, in 84, 83, 84. Uh, graduated from high school at Berkner High School in Richardson. I had a great time there. And, and um, you know, the interesting thing was my father had had a couple of illnesses um, and uh, wasn't able to work at two different periods. 
and I had two brothers that were in college during that time. And so we lived a pretty comfortable life up until that point. And then, of course, as you know, having a couple of kids in college, always needing this and cars breaking down while they're in college because they're probably doing college stuff. And so there <laughs> Is was that what we're calling it. Right. College, college stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the uh, appropriate term, the legal term. So I was, you know, I was still at home. And so I saw from the inside kind of the challenges that my parents were making, sacrificing and, and trying to make sure that they were taken care of. Um, and so I made that decision at, at about 15 years old that when I left home, that I would be independent because I knew that although my parents would gladly, like all of us, sacrifice for their children, I just didn't want them to have to do that again. And so, you know, at that time, I, I decided I was going to go into the military without any you know, without any real knowledge, uh, one of my uncles that I looked up to had been in the Air Force and my father had served in the Army. And so, you know, I kind of assumed that it was going to be one of those two. I was leaning towards the Air Force. And so when I got around to that junior year in high school, you know, I, that's when I started kind of, you know, going and trying to see recruiters. It was hard to find those Air Force recruiters. I, I was stupid. I was looking. Well, they were all at Starbucks. Yeah, I was looking for Well, there was no Starbucks back then. But, <laughs> I, you know, but I was looking for them in the recruiting office. I didn't know I should have been like at the golf course or, or somewhere else, right. you know, or at the country club where my right. dad was, you know. Um, and so I, it was hard to catch up with those guys. And, um, you know, I was considering maybe the Army. The, the Navy was kind of out for me because, you know, being a child of the 80s, I, I just... I couldn't see myself wearing bell bottoms, and so that was just kind of a, that like, was a non-starter from uniform, the beginning. Right? Your uniform killed <laughs> if it. If you're doing that, I, I just can't do it. And the the interesting thing was, I got a postcard in the mail from Sergeant Kevin B. Love. He was at the uh, recruiting station, and uh, you know, had all the little stuff on there, little questions. And the last question at the bottom was, "Have you ever considered being a United States Marine?" I checked, no put it back in the mail. And two days later, Sergeant Love gave me a call, asked me would I come in, you know, for a conversation. And I did. And, um, you know, I went and I sat down and, and I talked with him and we probably talked for about 45 minutes, maybe a little longer. Uh, and to tell you the truth, it, he had me at about 15, 20 minutes. And uh, now he didn't know that for several months because I was at least smart tell, enough. Tell me, tell me more about that. Tell me yeah, more about so, that. What was it in that first 15 minutes that you were like, my mind's made up? Well, here is the thing. So, you know, I, I had talked to several other recruiters and other branches of the service. And, you know, and I'd been, you know, slid the brochure and, uh, you know, college money and see the world and, you know, um, you know, from Texas. So, you know, you, you'd be able to, you know, come back to Texas and, you know, that Texas has its own version of the GI Bill. You know, all of these great benefits of joining the military and serving your country. Well, it really wasn't a whole lot about serving the country. It was just like, this is what you get, you know, not exactly the private Benjamin version, but but still, you know, here's the cool things about joining the military. I sat down with Sergeant Kevin Love, and the first thing he asked me was, well, I see here you put you never considered joining the Marine Corps, and why is that? And I was like, well, I never considered giving birth to pink elephants. I mean, there's lots of things that I've never considered um, it's just never been on my, my radar. And I really didn't have any knowledge or experience with the Marine Corps at that point. So he started talking, you know, and he got all big eyed and excited. And the thing that was different from him 
than everybody else that I talked to, even people that I knew who were in the military, like my uncle and, and my dad and other people, is he started talking about his life and what he had done and what he had experienced. And there was so much passion uh, in what he was communicating to me. Um, and, and then he starts talking about the pride and the uniform. And, you know, I'd been for several years, I'd been competing in martial arts and I went to a very disciplined uh, Taekwondo school, kind of old school. And again, back in the 80s, that was big here in Texas. And, you know, we had all the same things, our, our uniform, you know, the, the folds in our sleeves, the way we uh, rolled up our gi and, and the respect for people uh, of different ranks, brown belt and above. There were so many congruencies just as he was talking about his life, but that was it. Everybody else was talking about the, the brand of military that they were selling. And he was talking to me about his life. He wasn't selling me anything. He was talking to me about the things that he had done and, you know, his brothers in arms and just all of those things. And after about 15 or 20 minutes, I was like, this is it. I said, this is, this is what resonates with me. I don't have any facts. I really don't know much more about the Marine Corps than I did when I walked in here. This And, and it's something that... My mom's boss, years later, when I became a sergeant, I actually came home. I was uh, in between duty stations when my actual promotion date was, and I called some recruiters, and I did my uh, promotion ceremony at my mom's job in her office. And her, uh, her boss said something he, that he'd heard from a Marine a long time ago. He said, you know, in the Army, you're a soldier. In the Navy, you're a sailor. In the Air Force, you're an airman. But in the Marines, you're a Marine. And, and, and that's what it was. You know, he sold me the Marine Corps by selling me him. And he became a friend, a mentor, someone that for, you know, most of my career, I wanted to make Sergeant Kevin Love proud uh, because of the fact that he was the person that introduced me to something that would become an integral and major part of my life. Wow. Wow. And see, that's the it really is truly the, the the difference in branding. And for those not th that are listening to the show, not watching, is always have like pads of paper and and a pen, uh, so we can make notes so we don't interrupt each other while we're while we're doing the show. And I just look and I, and I, and this is surely by accident. And I know it's because I was in a hurry running out the door. Is I just noticed that the pad and pen that you have is from the inn at Little Washington, mm. which is in Virginia. It's a three Michelin star restaurant. It's this little community where you, they've got these little cute cottages that you stay mm. in, incredibly expensive. Like the meal is over a thousand a person and the night stay was like 1500. I mean, my, my wife and I, I mean, we prior to the pandemic, we try to go out there about once a year, okay. uh, just cause it's an incredible culinary experience. It's a way of our, uh, spoil ourselves. You know, and I know that on on a single overnight, we spent anywhere from three to five thousand. Who knows? Oh, wow. right? A lot, but it's the definition of the value. It's not the dollar. It's the value of what you get right. and how much pride somebody takes into something. And so I was just looking at that while you while you were talking about uh, uh, your recruiter, and I was like, man, there's just something about branding when you can connect with another human being to have that either shared experience or somebody who wants to be a part of sharing right right that experience exactly right 
and and so uh, so Chef uh, uh, Patrick O'Connell, who's the the, the chef for that uh, same inn at La Washington, didn't get his third star until about it was a little over a year ago, a little year and a half, maybe two years ago. Oh wow! And I'd been there when it was a two Michelin star, but he never gave up. Right? It was mm. that constant quest for being better. Wow. Yeah. And, and 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 so that's why when you're talking about that and I look down and it dawned on me what Pat and Penn are sitting right there in front of you is that's that's exactly what the Marine Corps is, right? Because it's not this that constant quest of being better of while you're in the Marines. It's after you get out of the Marines that mm-hmm. that journey continues. Right. Right? Yeah. 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 You know, there was an experience and again, I, and I'm not I'm not one of those guys that knocks other branches of the service, you know. Um, you know, we all kid around with each other, but but there's a difference, and there's a difference in mission. There's a difference in mentality, and uh, I was on I and I in Philadelphia. Uh, for, for the audience, tell them what I and I uh, inspector instructor duty, and so basically, uh, it's the active duty component that trains the reserves in a particular area, and so we were responsible for the reserve units there in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, just just north of Pennsylvania, or just north of uh, Philadelphia. And and so at the on the base, kind of like the Joint Reserve Base here, you know, you had all the branches of the service uh, doing their training there and their reserves. And so we had a, a common gym. And in the gym, I used to go into the boxing room. There was an old guy that was like Mickey from Rocky that would come in there, his nose all chewed up. And, you know, he would, he would uh, you know, work us out. You know, just that was fun and entertaining for him. He was old. You know, we'd be on the speed bags and heavy bags, and I'd go do my weightlifting. But that was also the room where people came in to do their abdominal work, do their crunches and stuff. And one day, uh, a group of officers from the Air Force came in, and they were doing their, their PRT, I think is what they called it at the time. And they were getting ready to do their crunches. And uh, as they got on the floor and I was in between, you know, rounds, they got on the floor and they got ready to do them. And uh, one of the gentlemen said to the rest of me, said, uh, now, listen up, gentlemen, if the minimum requirements weren't good enough, they wouldn't be the minimum requirements. So there's no need of going overboard. And and I heard that and that offended my Marine ears. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I had been a 300 PFT or meaning I was, you know, maxing out the run, maxing out the pull ups, maxing out the, you know, sit ups or they had switched to crunches at that time. And, you know, and it was for me, it wasn't even about getting a 300 PFT. It was how low could I get my run score? You know, how many pull ups over 20 could I do? For my own personal, you know, edification and that sort of thing. And so to hear that, you know, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Why would you say that? Why would you be okay with doing the minimum? But, you know, later I recognize, again, if there's there's a different mission, a different focus, then then maybe that's okay for who you are and what you're doing. But that's what made me need to want to be a Marine because it was always about pushing the limits as far as you could go, um, not being satisfied. And, the, you know, every business that I've owned, uh, almost everyone has had the word optimization in it in some way or form, because that's really what it boils down to me is is always getting better, always optimizing, always improving. And if we're optimized today, that's not good enough for next week because we can always get better. And I, and I think that 
that's one of the things that was in me. But then the Marine Corps, that like that was the seed, and the Marine Corps fertilized that thing, and you know, and really made it a part of who I am and and pretty much everything I've done. Wow. And so you you do thirteen years. Yes. What what ultimately get you to a point? I mean, because man, you're almost you're you're <laughs> over the halfway mark to retirement. Yeah. What occurs that says it's time for me to transition? You know, for me, it was, it definitely, I never had a short timers calendar. You know, I wasn't, you know, uh, dragging my feet and saying, I can't wait to get out of here. I was loving being a Marine, enjoyed it. I, I was promoted well. Uh, matter of fact, I was even offered a, you know, a reenlistment bonus of uh, $30,000 at the time, which was a lot of money. Um, I, and again, like I say, I was a gunnery sergeant. But for me and my family at the time, um, it was it was really just time for that transition, and you know I had a I had a lot of people that didn't appreciate that. I had a, a first sergeant that uh, you know really uh, told me a few things about myself from his perspective of me getting out as a as a gunnery sergeant with 13 years, and uh, he was unhappy. But but you know he was mostly unhappy because he was at about 30 years and was being forced out and didn't mm -hmm. want to get out. And so and I had an honest conversation with him. I said, you know, there's something that we say as Marines that sounds really good and feels really good. Um, it says, you know, being a Marine is not what I do, it's who I am. And, and there is some truth to that, but then there's some fallacy to that too, because if that's all there is, if being a Marine is who I am, then the minute I can't do that anymore, but I think that that's my identity, there can be some challenges and some struggles. And he was facing that identity crisis, and he was afraid. He's been a Marine for 30 years, hasn't been afraid of anything else, but he's afraid of not being able to get up every day, put on that uniform, and then go do being a Marine. And so my identity wasn't totally consumed with being a Marine. And at that point in my life, I had three options stay in the Marine Corps, re-enlist. Uh, I was going to go to 3rd Marine Division in Okinawa. Uh, and by the way, this was in the summer of 2001. And so uh, my second option was to come back home to Dallas. I was a communications technician, so I had a couple of career opportunities at Northern Telecom and Ericsson over in Richardson, where I was from. That was kind of a communications alley over there. It's great opportunities. And then the third option was to go vocational um, in the business of religion. And uh, um, I was already uh, doing ministry work and missionary work um, and going to places like Brazil and Italy and Mexico and things like that. And that ended up being the option that my family and I took uh, was to uh, stay in the military community for the next 10 years and serve the military families, but from a pastoral perspective and then do missionary work in other countries. And so, um, you know, we made that decision. And, um, and then of course, just a few months later, uh, some planes fly into buildings in New York and Pennsylvania and the Pentagon. And so now that was a really interesting time because I'm just, I mean, you know, my uniform still fit, you know, and everybody that I know and everybody that I'm serving, um, their lives just changed on that day. And I knew it. And uh, and I sat there and I watched it and I thought and I, I remember very clearly what my thought was, you know, uh, I thought about Pearl Harbor and ultimately our response to that. 
being a couple of bombs that, you know, were dropped. And at that point, I thought there's going to be a lot of death that's a result of this. And that's going to affect all of these people that I'm serving. So, you know, I I never regretted, you know, sometimes now I regret not having that that eagle fly once a month and drop off a paycheck. <laughs> and uh, but but I, I never regretted that decision because I still believe it was the right timing for me, although to other people it may not have made sense. Um, but uh, but boy, it was at at that point and for years after that, um, you know, when you're searching for that that brotherhood and that connection and that that part of being a Marine, and fe- and there was a part of me that did kind of feel like, man, you know, that unit that I would have been going to, they're packing up right now. I didn't know anybody over there, but I knew 3rd Marine Division in Okinawa. You know, when that happened, they were deployed ready, you know. So uh, but that was that was our transition. And that was that was the reason why. And, and like I say, I didn't regret it. And those next 10 years uh, experienced some great things and passport got a lot of work. But then, uh, then after that, I just uh, after about ten years, I, I really decided because I was in North Carolina, uh, Eastern North Carolina, and at that point, I decided I I really needed to get back to a place that had a real barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the pulled pork and yeah. coleslaw and all of that, and, and it's fine; it tastes good, but it, they just shouldn't call it barbecue. So that got, that brought us back to Dallas. That brought you back, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, and it is interesting, you know, you using the first sergeant as an example is, you know, I, I, I consult with a lot of folks that transition, whether it was a, a one enlistment type tour mm-hmm. or, you know, they had 10 of them. Yeah. And one of the things that is always a common theme that I tell folks is either you or the Marine Corps are going to make the decision of when the last time you put on that uniform. Absolutely. Right. And so as an individual, you just have to make a choice of, do I make that decision or do I wait for the Marine Corps to make that decision? Mm -hmm. Because guess what? Everybody's got a shelf life and it expires sooner or later. Right. Right. And things are not always, you know, the funny thing about life, nothing ever happens at a convenient moment. Exactly. Right. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, I tell people, you know, hey, you got to, uh, you know, an HVAC system in your house in Texas, you want to make sure that you keep it on top of that thing because when it breaks, it isn't going to break. Like, here it is, right? We're in the middle of October. The weather's beautiful. The windows yeah. are open. Yeah. That's not when it's going to break. No. It's going to break when you're a mile from the sun and 110% <laughs> of swamp-ass humidity <laughs> is going on and this thing breaks and trades are behind, supply yeah. chains are jacked up and you've yeah. got no AC for exactly. a week, right? And so I tell folks, like, hey, you know, whether it's you, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with either choice, right? Right, right. Just which one's the best fit for you? But to also understand is life, like you were saying, is when you're when you're wrapped up at being a Marine is your identity, is that's not the end of the book. Mm-hmm. That's just the end of that chapter. Exactly. Right. And what I personally found is because I I left the Marine Corps and I went into law enforcement because it was what was familiar for me, right? <laughs> I tell you, I always joke around and look, I, I, and thank goodness we have first responders out there doing it, but I took the easy way. Right. I took what was comfortable because I was wearing a uniform. I knew, how, I, you know, I, things were just different type missions now, 
you know, instead mm-hmm. of being trained yeah. to go out there and kill the bad guys, right. put them in jail. Right, right. And, and so, but is, you know, the thing about it is even when I left the department mm. is I went through that transition twice. So I did it coming out of the Marine Corps and I mm. did it coming out of the department. And neither, n- neither one of them was more easier than the other, right? Mm. Because you do get wrapped up into that identity, but right. y- you... You have that real conversation with yourself in the mirror go, ah, this is just not what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I was a really good Marine. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was a really good cop. But there was something that if I was going to be real with myself, and I always talk about it on these these shows, mm-hmm. the biggest liar in the room is the one in the mirror. You <laughs> yeah. and I have lots of conversations Absolutely. about that. Right. If I was really going to be honest with myself, and I didn't know, like if you would have told me 30 years ago that I would end up where I'm at now to look at you and said you need to go get a <laughs> drug tested because I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but I wouldn't change the journey that's led me to where I'm at. Right. But it was the things that I learned along the way that have helped shape me into who into who I am right, right? so one you know one of one of my guests that'll be coming on Wednesday to do their recording uh, speaking of HVAC owns mm-hmm. an HVAC company marine mm-hmm. first force recon I mean dude just as sharp as they get and so I was talking to him I was like I got these checks and he goes well I'm not done with a job and I said yeah but I'm leaving town Wednesday night and I want to make sure you get paid he goes man you've been trying to give me those checks for days he goes it's not your fault I've just been out of pocket and I was like yeah mm-hmm. just it became very important for me that if you're going to if you're going to do work with me I'm going to make sure you get paid right right and and so but it was also that on top of that is I would always make sure any of my subs got paid mm-hmm. But especially when they're a Marine, I'll, I, you know, just like, hey, you know, I want I want to make sure that you, you're getting paid. And it was really funny because when uh, so Kaz, who also was at First Force and Marsox, been mm-hmm. on the show before, um, had um, he, he and Nick were, were in First Force together. And, okay. and so when Kaz said, hey, Nick's in the Metroplex, I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. And I was like, and he's got an HVAC company. I was like, all right, tell him he's got all the gigs. Oh, wow. And he was like, so Nick was going in and he was trying to, man, this is what we do. And I was like, dude, oh, I get it. Yeah, cool. Just <laughs> send the invoice. That's right. all you have to do. Right. Like, I trust you and I know the caliber of a person you are. Mm-hmm. And I know some of your history being a Marine, being a right. Force Recon Marine. Right. I know you're going to finish the mission, right? I was like, just send the invoices, right? You know, and 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 there's there's something exciting when you can have that level of trust in business, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And 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 then on top of that, you know, he was telling me today, he was like, man, I'm going to be there on Wednesday. He goes, I'm just recording with you, just give them to me then. I was like, all right, well, don't let me forget. <laughs> but but it is interesting, is that we 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 do go and we go, man, just I'm supposed to be doing something different. It's yeah. that internal voice that just it's kind of like me it never shuts up right <laughs> so your voice is telling you okay so you've, you've come back to dallas mm. and your voice is telling you something what's it telling you at that point you know this this was a um a, a real time of discovery for me because you know my transition back here was in 2009 and um and so now i'm changing careers again um not a super great time with the economy to be looking for jobs. And um, as I come back, there's people moving from all over the country to DFW because, you know, there are jobs here. 
and the economy is hurting. And uh, for the audience, this is on the heels of the 2008 real yeah. estate bubble that had popped, or as I call it, the lending crisis. When everybody calls it the housing crisis, right. the housing was fine. It was the lending that was the issue. Right. And, and so the economy was. That's the time frame you're re- referencing, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you know, uh, job opportunities were challenging. Um, I wasn't super worried about that because you know, I mean, you know, we do what we got to do, but. Um, so I ended up uh, going to a place that's always hiring, and again, I'm, I'm moving in uh, moving in ignorance into a new thing, and uh, and so it was the insurance space, and uh, ended up with a national insurance company, um, kind of a crappy company, but I didn't know that at the time, uh, but I had some you know good success right off the bat, you know, uh, and you know I just got in and started working hard, and you know I was cold calling and smiling and dialing and dialing for dollars, doing all of those things. And it didn't take very long before I realized, you know, uh, what they were, what they were driving us to do was very beneficial to the company, not super beneficial to me. So I started focusing on a different area that, uh, that was more lucrative. And after about a year, um, I, uh, I realized that, you know, this, this is not the way to do this business. I can do this business and I can be successful. Um, but if I keep doing it for them the way that they want me to do it, then I'm just going to I'm going to work real hard for a long time um, with minimal results. And but but what really happened during that period all my life, even before I joined the Marine Corps, I ultimately thought my purpose, my my career, my my internal drive was always to be a teacher and you know i thought that i you know if i if i go in the marine corps i might be in six years i might be in 30 years um and then i'll have a retirement and then i'll probably become a teacher and when i you know and then i thought well i'll probably get out of the marine corps and go get a job in technology make really good money um secure the future and then go be a teacher and it was always like that terminal career for me was going to be a teacher because that's who i'd been all my life when i was a kid and i started taking martial arts every kid on my street was taking martial arts when i came home you know anything that i could get here in my head or here in my heart I always felt like I needed to share that and teach other people and get them to get it. And so that was always kind of the the thing that I thought I was working towards being a high school teacher or college professor or something like that. And what I started to realize, you know, understanding better during that time is that's what I had done all my life. And I had this perception because my father was in his purposeful career his whole life after the army. He was only and always a chef, you know, his entire life. And so in my mind growing up, it was kind of like everybody has that profession that's right for them. Some people just go work jobs, but if you find your purpose, then your profession kind of lines up with that. And that's what I always thought. And so I was working to getting to that place. And then what I realized is that, yeah, I'm a teacher. But that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with school, uh, college, or, or high school. It could. But everything that I've done, every place that I've been successful, what I have done is transferred knowledge, transferred passion, and help people excel. So 
once I understood that in financial services, then the job became even easier because I realized what my job was wasn't to sell a financial product. My job was to educate people in succeeding in what they were already trying to do. Everybody's going to work and they're saving money and they're investing because they want to have a certain level of retirement or, or they want to live a certain lifestyle. And what we don't do in our education system is teach people about money, teach people about finance. And so that's what really happened when I came back and uh, I left, started my own agency, and we built everything around educating people. I joined a, uh, a boutique uh, financial firm a few years later, and I joined them because I felt like they did a job at educating people on how money works. Man, and that's uh, and I, I want to come back to that one here in, in just a second, but I want to go back a second. Is this passion? for educating people mm -hmm. like where does that come from like what is that i mean it's just it goes you even said it was mm -hmm. even before you went into the marines that yeah. you had this driver in you mm -hmm. right that was like man I, I this is what i want to do where does that come from well uh, i can i can only take it back to five years old uh before that i, I don't know but um when i was five as a matter of fact we moved from dallas down to the hill country, Marble Falls, and uh, well, five, six, somewhere around there. And um, and I remember we were waiting for our house to be ready. And so we were staying in this uh, temporary house. It was a duplex or something. Um, and uh, I was sitting on the floor watching TV and this documentary that um, this documentary that we've all seen probably dozens of times now um, on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came on. And uh, I was in the room by myself, like a little kid, sitting really close to the television, watching it. And uh, and as I was watching it, and this was, you know, this was all like new stuff. You know, I, I you know, at five, I wasn't aware of the civil rights movement or, or any of that stuff. So I'm just watching this story about this man and, and seeing all the things that are happening and hearing the narration. And so while I was watching it, uh, what I heard was, the right man at the right time saying the right words can change the world. And I was like, wow, at five years old, every time I, I say this, I can see myself, I can feel it, I, I get goosebumps. And so I never forgot that statement. And Jeremy, fast forward to, you know, again, me being out of the Marine Corps, you know, working in ministry. I've got three kids, you know, and we're watching this exact same documentary on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so now I'm waiting for this moment to, you know, hear this part and, and share that I heard that the first time when I was five years old. I wanted to, you know, have that dad talking moment with my kids. And uh, we watched the thing from front to back. And uh, nobody says that in that documentary. Dr. King doesn't say it. It's not in the narration. It's never said. And I've watched it many times since then. And it was at that moment that I realized that that, that was an internal dialogue at five years old that was burned into who I was, that I had a purpose, and that was to be able to take things from here and here, bring them out here, 
and impact other people's lives. That gives me goosebumps hearing that, man. That's, I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, because at five, I mean, one, at, at five years, I mean, that's 60 months on this planet, right? You haven't been exposed to anything that could give you, you know, I mean, sure, do you have child prodigies that can right. maybe play Mozart at five or right. something like that? Sure, not taking any of that away, but for the normal human race out here, <laughs> most of us don't have enough experience yeah. of things to have a moment like that. Right. 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 And then for that to manifest and carry on for many decades to when you're like, that was never said right. in the show. Yeah. That was just what was going on in my brain. Yeah. But it also makes me believe that you had some exposure to either someone or something mm-hmm. yeah. that implanted these words even before you watched that documentary, right? right. So where do, right. where do you think you got that kind of example from? Well, you know, there's there's two aspects of it. You know, when I when I look back, I, you know, and, and, you know, first of all, I, I think that, you know, we're all uh, are born with the seed of greatness in us. And your seat of greatness is not the same as mine. We're we're all create. You know, I mean, you have children, and and I, I have children, and you know, uh, I've yet, and I keep having them. You know, my my oldest is twenty six, my youngest is seven. You know, <laughs> so, um, you know, and I've and I've yet to look at one of them. You know, when they're born, and and not see all the potential, all the beauty, all the greatness in the world when they're that little baby, and and we're all born with that potential. All of our parents think, you know, and they look at us and say, you know, you can be anything you want to be, you know, and all of this, and um, and most of us die with a lot of potential, and you know, as been said over and over again, you know, it's that on your tombstone there's a day you were born and and the day you die, and then in between is the dash, and and what do you do? Uh, what is your dash filled with? And so, you know, I believe eternally that was part of my individual seed of greatness. But um, when I look at my father and and my mother and the lives that they lived and my grandparents, um, they they lived their lives serving and helping people, investing their lives in other people. My dad was a chef, but, you know, there are literally hundreds of men and women who got jobs or had their lives changed or impacted. There was a vortex of people that moved from Dallas to get a fresh start in Marble Falls, Texas. You know, there's like 2,000 people there at the time because my dad opened a door and created opportunities. And People lived in our home. Entire families lived in our home with us, and we slept on floors and cots. And so I was being nurtured in that way because that's that was the stock that I came from. Uh, but, but even along with that, there was something that I know now was always in me that was in there before I was there, right, that, that was shaping me towards this. And, uh, and then everything that was wrapped around my life, my family, the circumstances. I mean, I had some challenging circumstances, you know, living in the hill country in the 70s. In Texas. In Texas, I was... What? You mean not everybody down there liked all the black folks? Dude, I, you know, for for nine years, um, except for two years, for nine years, I was the only brown boy in my entire grade. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have a I have a, a, a book that I've written and not published, but it, it's called Eat the Banana. And uh, because everything's been tied to words for me. Yeah. That's it's, it's the power of words. That's that's what the teaching is. And um, and this book is called Eat the Banana because um, I ate my first banana in the gym on Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, uh, where the boxing team worked out and where I taught uh, personal training and kickboxing classes. Um, and I had, I had just taught my third class for the day and I was working with another instructor. I was still on active duty, you know, teaching all these classes. And, and my friend, uh, she said, hey, you know, you're gonna start cramping up if you don't get some potassium in you. And she offered me a banana. And, um, and she handed it to me and I had this massive decision to make. And the reason why is because, <clears throat> sorry about that. Uh, when I was a very young kid in Marble Falls, I had a, uh, a coach who was born and raised in Marble Falls, didn't have this wonderful tan that I did. And he made some comments about uh, black people, monkeys and bananas in front of all the other kids and me. And, um, and from that day on, I never said a word. I never spoke it out loud. I never told anyone, but I would never put a banana in my mouth. I would never, my aunt Dorothy apparently made the best banana pudding this side <laughs> of heaven. I never tasted it. I would never eat anything with banana in it. I would never eat a banana and I never told anybody why. And sitting on that gym floor when my friend Danielle handed me that banana and, you know, and again, you know, I was born in 1970. This is in 2000. And um, I'm sitting there and I thought, there's no way I'm going to let this man who doesn't care about me, probably doesn't remember me, definitely didn't love me. But his words have had power over me in this area all of this time. And so today I'm going to eat this banana and that's over with. But what evolved out of that was this understanding that, you know, we've all thrown some careless words out there and not thought about the impact that they might have had. And but but then again, that lined up with my purpose and my mission is to be very purposeful in the words that I share with people, because you may not be thinking about the impact 15, 20, 30 years down the road. You may not be paying attention to how what you said to your child in a moment of anger or frustration and how that might impact their identity of themselves. And and so, you know, that that was really one of those moments. And and just a few years later, and, I, and at this point, I'd been traveling to Brazil um, a few times a year. And uh, a few years later, I, I was, uh, you know, Internet's becoming a thing and tech rooms and all of this. And it was the year that I don't remember exactly what year, but it was the year that the World Cup was in South Africa, you know, and they were blowing all the vuvuzelas and <laughs> that noise is sounding like a billion bees, you know, in your ear. And um, and I had a young man uh, contact me online. Uh, in a live chat and he was a young Brazilian guy and he said uh, do you remember me and he said you know I met you in Uberlanja which is a city in Brazil that I used to go to and uh, I said yeah yeah I remember you and, and he said I just wanted to make sure that you were proud of me 
And and I said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, of course I'm, you know, of course I'm proud of you, you know. And you know, and I vaguely remember the young man, and and he said, he said, well, you know, and he so he was a Brazilian, but he was of Japanese ethnicity, uh, which there's which, which people don't realize is that outside of Japan, the largest Japanese population is in Brazil. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And so, you know, he, you know. And, and he had some identity issues, and he was a, a teenage boy, maybe 14 or 15 when I met him. And um, and he said, I just want to make sure you're proud of me. I said, oh, of course. He said, well, you know, I'm in South Africa, and I'm a professional soccer player now from Brazil. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And, uh, and then he tells me online in this conversation, he says, you know, the day you met me, he said, you know, I, I look Japanese and I never felt like I fit in and I was really kind of lost and I wanted to kill myself. And he said, the day you met me, you walked up to me and this was through a translator. But he said, um, you said to me, you need to believe in yourself because God believes in you. And he said, and, and that was my first conversation with him. And first words, and um, and I didn't remember that conversation, but he did. And he said, and from that day, my life started to change. And now I'm a professional Brazilian soccer player, and I'm in South Africa, and I'm and he was playing with this organization, and there as they played soccer and raised money, they provided shoes for you know kids that didn't have shoes. Some some organization, and uh, and he said, I just he said I've been waiting to find you and waiting to talk to you again so that I could tell you thank you, and uh, you know, and it's, so it's those moments. You're like the modern day Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's those moments, you know, and you don't have to have a lot of them, but it's those moments that kind of connect you with purpose mm-hmm. and and value and things that I mean, you can't orchestrate something like that. You can't. You could walk around every day thinking I'm going to say something to change someone's life today, but you know, though you don't create those moments. You can be available for them. Um, you can be the type of person, no matter. I mean, you there's hundreds, thousands of people that what you've done has changed their life or impacted their life. Um, And I think our goal is just to be available to who we are, to be true to ourselves, and then we're going to have the impact that we're supposed to have. And and that's what I truly believe. Man, and and you and I have had many conversations on this topic, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had uncomfortable (laughs) conversations. We both got out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, my uh, first episode with what, one of my, you know, personal advisors, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin Davis, and where I'm on a show, and I was like, hey, I'll, I'll put this out there for the rest of the free world to hear it. First black person I ever met was when I got in the Marine Corps, which is also the best place to meet someone different from you because yeah. you're all treated the same. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, I was I was blended in, <laughs> just like everybody else was blended you're in. All right? equally <laughs> worthless. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, but it's something that you, that you 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 said there is that how often do human beings give someone who really has no control over them? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can't control you. Right. Right. And you cannot control me, but we give that power away so often yeah. as humans. Right? right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, and that's that's why I always come back to have an honest conversation in the mirror. Like yeah. When 
like you were talking about, right? When people use unpleasant words, yeah, right, yeah. Well, I often tell folks, well, there's two types of people on this planet: <laughs> those who have used unpleasant words and those who lie about it, right? Exactly. Right? But I, I don't care who you are from priest to president, man. Right. Everybody said something dumb, right? Right? Exactly. Or said something that they didn't understand the impact that word or phrase or paragraph or dissertation or whatnot might have on somebody else and and the thing about being this is this is one of really kind of going in philosophically here right is one of the things that i love about being a human and living in this country Mm. is are there some people that judge us based on our past absolutely can't do anything about it right can't change their mind they are who they are right but I choose to associate myself with friends like you mm. that can go, yeah, my, my past hasn't always been perfect or pretty. Last right. I checked, there's only one perfect person to walk the face of this earth. He died like 2,021 years ago. Exactly. Uh, and, but what do you do with what you learn going forward right. to try to have that impact on other people? Yeah. And, and, and that's where it starts to establish, you know, that my favorite word trust yeah. right and you know um i gotta remember you and i we were um we were we were at uh, a mavs game mm-hmm. yeah and we were really diving deep into some yeah. conversation we went i'm trying to i'm trying to say we went somewhere afterwards i think we went to a party or uh yeah we uh, went to a, a uh, bar and then yeah, we went to yeah. A friend's house around yeah, the corner yeah from it was a long night it was a long <laughs> night and then we were really diving into mm. the conversation because so many people are afraid to have yeah. an open dialogue with someone that is not just like them. Right. Right? Right. Now, what's really funny, and this is where you really help me understand, you know, because I'm always trying to learn. I'm always mm. trying to educate myself, and I'm always trying to figure things out, right? right. I'm always right. Just, I just I just like figuring things out. Right. And, uh, and it was you, and I don't know if you remember this or not, is – you know, we were sitting there, and we were we were talking. Man, there was no topic that was left <laughs> off the table that night. Right. Plus, we had quite a bit of drink too, so that, that definitely loosened up. Loosened it up, uh, yeah. And you know, but I remember when we were sitting there, you know, talking, and and you know, we were we were trying to have a conversation about what does make us different. <laughs> and that's when you said, "You go, you know, what's really funny is as human beings, regardless of your your gender, your color, your race, your." religion your whatever go through the whole litany of we actually have a quite a bit of majority of things that we have in common mm-hmm. than we do of things that we don't have in common right right yeah, absolutely and and it was where you had defined to me the difference between the miles and the inches mm. like the things that are different <laughs> large differences right but everything else is inches that are all cumulative together right like, Somebody walk in this room, they would see. You're black, I'm white. <laughs> right. Can't change that. Right. It is what it is. But is that what makes us different? No, it's all the inches of the things we have in common. Exactly. One, if we started bleeding right now, <laughs> gonna bleed the same color. Exactly. We both need to breathe oxygen yeah. in order to stay alive. Right. We both earned a title, United States Marine. Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on and on of all these things that and, and I've said this on the show before, too, is the world's so focused on the miles mm-hmm. and differences and the ignorance that comes behind it, like yeah, that exactly. coach. Right, right. Right. Is, you know, you, you look at someone like, like that coach 
who born and raised, small town and whatnot, yeah. there's a part of you that goes, man, what's wrong with this person? Right. But then there's, we're, like, we've come in our lives of mm-hmm. being a half century older now. Right, <laughs> right. exactly. <laughs> half century, did I really say that? Like, I, don't know. I mean, it ain't no millennium. But, yeah. but um, we were able to go, you know what? You kind of, you kind of feel bad for that person. Exactly. Because their exposure yeah. to things that are outside their comfort and outside their, their basis of knowledge, yeah. Yeah. they're operating in a very limited capacity. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and of course, you know, at that young age, you don't have enough experience yet to, to, to realize that the only reason that guy had words of power over you mm. is because you allowed it to. Exactly. Right. But that's also part of the journey in life where we get older and just go, man, when it when it really hit me a number of years ago that to really stop caring about what other people thought of me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, and I just stopped. I just stopped worrying about it. I was like, what? You, well, first off, I know I'm one of those individuals that people <laughs> fall into one of two categories. You know where I'm going. <laughs> like, like. At my funeral, there's going to be a lot of people there. Fifty percent because they're going to miss me, yeah. and fifty percent that want to make sure I'm dead, right? And you know, and then, you know, and that's where that's where I think that that life just takes these these interesting roads. And I just stopped worrying about it. Yeah, you know, like yeah. uh, like this uh, you know recent deal I've been working on. Well, I've been working on it for three years, but finally popped six mm. months ago, and you know. If you notice I'm nice and trim and slim, <laughs> that's not because of a special diet. It's called no sleep, stress, and not eating for <laughs> yeah. six months, uh, working 20-hour days. Mm. And um, but um, but yeah, it was just I when I had this idea of how we're doing this investment strategy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had billionaires looking at me going, number one, that can't be done. Wow. And if it could be done, it couldn't happen in today's market. Right. Doing it every day right now. Wow. As a matter of fact, phase three of it, which was the the absolute, like, we make phase three of this happen, then we have proven it, which happened September 28th, mm. just a few weeks ago, yeah. that everybody said it couldn't be done. And and it was kind of funny. So James Peterson, who works with me, right? Right. And he was just like, man, you're just, you're so driven that you're going to make this happen. And I says, well... Yeah, I guess that's part of it, but really a large part of it is I don't care about the people that say that it can't. Right, right. Because the second I believe them, then it was their – I'm choosing to allow their words right. to affect my performance. Exactly. And I'm just not going to do that. Right. And if I land flat on my face, what do they get out of it? I told you so. Okay. And? But – you didn't. You didn't go right. face fear, right? You know, and, and it was really funny because James. Actually, it's funny. I was talking to James this morning, uh, and because uh, uh, he and I talk on a daily mm-hmm. basis, we mm-hmm. work together, right? And uh, he, he just said, "Man, so how you doing today?" And I says, "Man, I said um, I woke up and I was one part excited and one part terrified." <laughs> he goes, "You get terrified?" And I says, "Dude, I'm terrified every day." <laughs> Like I had a lot yeah. of people entrust me with a lot of money yeah. to go and deliver results, and I'm terrified, mm. not based on the things that are within my control, because things that are within my control, I know what I can do to perform, Right. but I'm terrified every day 
of the things that are not within my control. Right. I don't know, maybe a global pandemic that happened right. almost two years ago <laughs> that shut the world down yeah. when the government puts rent moratoriums and all those mm-hmm. other things that are not within my control. And so I said, but I don't allow that being terrified to demotivate or motivate me either. Right. I just, I acknowledge the elephant in the room exactly. that, hey, there is the potential, and, and, and here it is, and I've literally made this so Marine Corps incestual <laughs> that, I mean, Ricky, who I grew up with and enlisted in the Marines with, he runs all the landscaping. Mm. You know, told you about Nick. He's doing all the HVAC. Kaz is doing all of the maintenance-related uh, items. Uh, James, you know, he's helping me out on the investment part and getting mm. these things leased out and all this. So, so it's, all, it's all Marines, right? Yeah, right. And uh, – and so, which by design a little bit, and the other part of it is just that's just the way yeah. it, it worked yeah. out. But you know, I, I just I, I just I look at him and say, man, and I tell all these guys because they're a little bit newer. Well, Nick's been a business owner for longer, but I tell him I'm like, hey, you have to acknowledge every morning you wake up that today's the day when the ride could end. Right. 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 Because we ever want to make God laugh, just tell him our plan, right? Exactly. Yeah, and he'll exactly. laugh uncontrollably. Like, the only reason I'm still alive on this planet is because I'm probably cable TV for him in the first place. <laughs> and he's like, what's this idiot going to do next? Uh, but I just said, so I wake up every day and I acknowledge that there are things outside of my control mm-hmm. that could bring this gravy train to a stop today. Yeah. yeah. But all I do is acknowledge it. Yep, it's there. But I'm going to take charge Right. And move on and go produce and execute. Yeah. And even what, so a recent one, right, is we have a process for how we vet new clients. Mm-hmm. And the reason we have the process is three reasons. One, it allows us to go, we're professionals. We don't just wing it. We actually have a process. Mm-hmm. Two, that process actually helps us communicate better with them, okay. right? Which is huge. You and I talk right. about communication right. Right. all the time. And third, it lets me figure out if somebody's going to be a challenge to work with. Right. Doesn't make them a bad person. Just means that I don't want to spend a lot of time on right. a hamster wheel not moving the needle because this person's going to make that difficult. Right. And so um, I, I call it the ceasefire effect. Mm. Right. So just like on the range, whether you're the most junior person to the most senior person, if you see an unsafe situation, you can call a ceasefire. Everybody repeats ceasefire, ceasefire, and everybody stops. We have the same thing on my team. Mm. If one person sees something that the rest of us missed that says this person could really – not a bad person, not painting these folks as bad people, but as somebody who could potentially cause a lot of disruption in our business Mm – then they can raise their hand and say, um, I'm not going to be comfortable with working with these folks. Oh, wow. And and so, and especially Lynn, who's the quietest out of all of them, was the <laughs> very first to go, man, I, I, I am, man, this is, this like, this, this, this lady's going to be really, really challenging to work with. Oh, right. Wow. And then James, and then everybody was <laughs> like, yep. And then so we just politely went on about our business and, but it was really funny is the terrifying part, right? Right. Because this person was also a referral from a friend that sends a lot of referrals, mm. right? Right. So there's a part of me that did have to acknowledge, hey, I don't know exactly how close the person is with the person that referred them. Mm-hmm. 
And could this be the end of the referrals because we chose not to work with them? Right. So I had to acknowledge the terrifying feelings. Exactly. But then I had to also acknowledge that's not within my control of how folks are going to make their decisions. And if that same person said, I don't want to send any more referrals your way, I would respect and honor that and be like, hey, I get it. I'm not in control of that. And that is important for us as, you know, human beings is we're acknowledging what we can and can't do. Exactly. And stuff. So you got all this great knowledge (laughs) that you come around and now you're doing something really interesting. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, so I got out of the uh, well, kind of worked my way out of the insurance space. Uh, by uh, and I tell people and, and I know you'll understand this you know I you know I was selling Medicare supplements and then that turned into you know life insurance and long-term care and annuities and really focusing on the the money side of it and then it becomes you know personal economics and wealth management and then you know really I tripped and fell and the next thing I know I'm launching an inve- investment company you know um, and we're creating this disruptive private equity, you know, not putting any debt on the entrepreneurs, not, you know, taking any equity from them. So it really wasn't private equity, uh, but it was revenue-based finance and, you know, just all of this stuff that I had never, ever imagined, never was on my radar. But it, my brother asked me one day, he was at my office and we went downstairs to Ocean Prime and we're having lunch. And he was like, tell me again what you're doing and how did you end up doing this and I was like man I just kept working and kept winning kept failing and you know I tripped and fell and here I am you know I'm in the Rosewood and uptown and the most expensive you know um, real estate in uptown Dallas and uh, and there's a nameplate here at Ocean Prime with my name on it that says <laughs> reserved for Mr. Urschel Metcalf and I was like so I'm just riding the ride man yeah. <laughs> I'm in here and so but that actually I, I moved out of, you know, selling, you know, insurance and was really just doing this education and working with entrepreneurs. And then that got me back actually into the veteran space, because from there I started working with veteran entrepreneurs and exited the company uh, uh my business partner took over uh, the company and I went and started and that's what I ended up at Honor Courage Commitment and trying to make a difference there with, with veteran entrepreneurs and then eventually out on my own uh, just doing consulting and and I tell people insurance I feel like I feel like Don Corleone when it comes to insurance you know he says you know every time I try to walk away you know it keeps pulling me back in <laughs> and um, so you know I'm, I'm running uh, a consulting company helping businesses uh, grow optimize their revenue strategies and um, and so then a couple of years ago, before COVID, I um, got connected and, and pulled into this television show um, that's a, a, a Shark Tank type of show uh, with a different strategy and allows people to to invest. As you're watching, you could go on your phone and you can invest in the company as they're pitching to the billionaires. So if the billionaire says, I like this company, you say, I like this company too. I'm going to invest. And... Um, so we're interviewing entrepreneurs and businesses and and putting this together and and I meet these guys and um you know and they and they start talking about what they do and how they help you know personal economies and businesses and um and and I looked at the guy and I said um cuz he was talking about this strategy and life insurance and this trust 
And um, and I said, so is that a spendthrift trust that you're talking about? And he looked at me. He said, I've never had this conversation and somebody knew what I was talking about. And it's something that I'd run across years ago. And um, and he said, yeah, it's, uh, you know, um, discretionary, non-grantor, spendthrift, da-da-da-da-da, rattles it off. And so, you know, we, we get through all of that and I'm interviewing other entrepreneurs and um, and so I start communicating with him and, and getting a little bit more information. And uh, I took about three weeks to do some digging and due diligence and talking to him and calling people. And I got to the end of that three weeks and then I realized, you know, I hadn't even paid attention. My life insurance, uh, my insurance license had expired. And because I, I didn't do my continuing education and all of that stuff. And because I went on to go try to check my license, I was like, that person doesn't exist in, in, <laughs> in TDI anymore. <laughs> and uh, and I tell you what, when I got done looking at this and evaluating it and, and calling, you know, my lawyer friends and my tax friends and everyone, I, I called and scheduled my license exam to go retake my license and and here's the reason why um i came across you know these these gentlemen um who you know they kind of cut their teeth in the um uh multi-level marketing area but one of the partners is a marine <laughs> see how it always works it of always comes back around <laughs> one of the partners is a marine he got out of the marine corps went to work for the same insurance company that I had started with. And he was out in North Carolina and these guys hooked up. And um, and so what, what they had put together was this particular type of trust. And um, it is interesting thing. So it's a trust that's not based on legislative law. It's based only on contract law. And the Constitution gives you and I the right to go into a contract together, and, and that can't be infringed upon. And so this trust has five very specific characteristics that do a couple of really powerful things for business owners. I work with a lot of real estate investors now. But it allows anything that is owned by that trust or in the corpus of that trust to permanently defer taxes. And so I start looking at what they're doing, both with the insurance, with real estate, and with business owners, and how they're changing the game. Now, about a month and a half ago, no, a little over two months ago, there was an article that came out in ProPublica. And, uh, and someone who, you know, if they find out who it is, they're probably going to go to jail, but someone leaked the tax returns of 200 people in America, all very wealthy people. And so this article in ProPublica showed the true tax rate of Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk. Warren Buffett being the GOAT, his true tax rate for his earnings in 2019 was one-tenth of one percent. Elon Musk was the loser of the four. His true tax rate was like 3.1, 3.2% of what he actually made. And it showed what they actually made, what they reported, what they actually paid in taxes, and what their true tax rate was. And, you know, and, and our former president, Donald Trump, you know, people, oh, he didn't pay any taxes. And, you know, and he said, you know, you shouldn't be asking me how much taxes I paid. You should be asking me how. 
you know, because he's 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 obviously not sitting in jail because of it at right. this point. And so, one of the things that we used to say is, "Don't do what rich people tell you to do; do what they do." Mm-hmm. Um, and understand. And, and Warren Buffett said, "If poor people would do what rich people do, they wouldn't be poor anymore." It's just as simple as that. But it's the knowledge; it's the understanding. So. I, I come across this, I learn it, and then of course, that kicks in the gear everything that I am. This information does me no good if I can't find people to teach it to and impact and change their lives. I work with a CPA that's been doing this for 31 years, over a thousand active clients. Uh, he never had any desire to market any of this. He's just been managing. He's filed over 10,000 tax returns on this trust in those 31 years. He's not a Marine, he was Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> and so there are things that we trust them with that we don't trust each yeah, other with, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And um, his average tax liability reduction is 84%. Wow. And it's because of the particular nature of this trust that it can permanently defer taxes. So we'll go to a real estate investor meeting meet some people and show them this. I got two meetings today um, with guys and they transfer their assets into the trust. They, you know, you buy your properties, you sell your properties, and you'll understand this. You you buy a property for $500,000, you sell it for $1.2 million. You know, you made some money, but the government wants theirs, right? Mm-hmm. Capital gains. Well, guess what? If it's owned by the trust, and this is what Nelson Rockefeller said, the key to success is to own nothing but control everything. And so this trust allows you to have complete discretionary control without ownership because it's owned by the trust. So now, I, the first real estate investor I talked to, I said, over the last 10 years, tell me how much you paid in capital gains. He told me, I said, how would your business be different if you still had that money as working capital in your business? And he said, well, I'd probably have another $10 million in assets. And so that's that's an easy sale right there. And so once once I, I got a hold of this and like I say, I took about three, three and a half weeks to really dig into it, to make sure, you know, I have a former business partner that is uh, wearing orange every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so due diligence is really important to me when it comes to, yeah. to investments in people's money. And um and man, I, it just blew me away. I, I reinstated my license. Um, I'm still doing consulting and business development because I'm impacting more business owners this way than actually the growth strategies that I was really focusing on because you know my company is Epic Optimize. And when I say you have Epic ide- Ideas, we have optimization strategies. We wanna take your Epic Idea and optimize it and keep you moving forward. And some of that stuff isn't sexy. Some of it is not you know, people think, well, we just need more clients. We need more market share. Well, heck, every new client costs you money. There's a, you know, there's a cost of customer acquisition. There's, you know, the cost of goods sold and all those things. And you know how many business owners can't work their way through their own P&L. And so we just help them with those strategies and say, hey, man, I'll, what if I save you, you know, $5,000 a year on your phone bill, you know, or your, your internet, you know, that goes straight to the bottom line. That's 100% profit. And so that's what we were, you know, helping businesses with these strategies. And I started looking at this and said, wow, well, if we can reduce their tax liability by 80%, that goes straight to the bottom line. You know, that fattens those margins up a little bit. So, 
you know, once again, I ended up kind of downshifting, changing gears and not heading in a totally different direction. But looking at this from a what when I was in financial services, my mind was I wanted to work with what I was calling first generation wealth builders. I live in Plano and Frisco, and there's lots of people with decent income, you know, two income families, whatever. Uh, they make a lot of money, but they're not wealthy. Right. Uh, they have a lot of money going in, a lot of money going out uh, and, and people, you know, in that space. And I wanted to teach them how to create wealth, generational wealth. And so now I look at this, I come across this and, and I say, now I have now I have a different set of tools that I can work with entrepreneurs. I can work with individuals. I, I can work with people who, you know, who have families and say, I'm going to provide you a little bit more education a little bit of strategy, introduce you to some tools that are just going to impact the way money moves through your life, the way money moves through your business so that you keep more of what you make. And the key is to not own it. Let something else own it that has advantages that you don't have, that has privileges that you don't have. And now, just like the wealthiest individuals in our country, you keep more of what you make. And, uh, and the impact that we're seeing uh, with people who, who are grasping this concept and, and able to use these tools. I mean, even in, in the, the uncertainty of all the markets and everything that's going on right now, the reality is, you know, the IRS code 643, it's very interesting. And this is actually in distrust, um, the, the, the IRS tax code. And, and I didn't know this until I dug into this. The IRS actually encourages you in ways to avoid taxes. Tell me more about that. So the, the, ho the whole reason why the IRS code is this big is not to trap you. The, it, it, I mean, what do, what do wealthy people, what do businesses do? They pay accountants to be able to keep as much of their money as possible. They'll send you to jail for evading taxes, mm -hmm. but all the loopholes are built there for people with money so that you can have the strategies and the things that you need to do to keep the money in your business, to keep the money in your family. And so when we talk about the Rockefellers and the Kennedys and, you know, the Rothschild, all of these these families that have generated this these massive amounts of wealth. But then you see one of their kids go out and get into a car accident and be found negligent and the family sues and they get a judgment, they don't walk away with millions and millions of dollars. You know why? Because that Kennedy boy doesn't own anything. I never understood when people said trust fund baby. You know, to me, that was just somebody whose family was rich and they had a big pocket pile of money that, you know, they were able to live off of, and they, whether they worked or not. I didn't know that that meant this person, they, everything that is in their life, their house, their cars, income, everything is owned by trust. They don't own anything, but they have control over it. Their kids, if the, anyone that's a beneficiary of the trust that I own, that trust and the money in that trust can take care of everything that that child needs up to age 21. And what does that do for you and me? So. If I got a bunch of money going into the trust by way of income, 
that's now owned by the trust. Like I do a 90-20 split for my business. I own 10, trust owns 90%. That money goes in there. Well, guess what? My kids who are under 21, clothes, tuition, anything that pertains to their life, food is taken care of by the trust. You know what that does for me? I don't need that income that I used to need to take care of my kids. My house is in the trust. Trust, he owns it. Well, I don't need income to take care of my house because the trust is responsible for it. So now the amount of personal income that I need goes down, down, down. Well, the money's in the trust and I have full control over it. So this is what the IRS code 643 allows us to do because the trust owns all of this stuff. Up to age 21, kids are taken care of 100%. After that, everything but food, fun, and fashion. So now, you know, it, it's as simple as this. If, I, if, if me and my family of, of four that's still at home go out to eat, the trust can pay for my kids' food, and I have to pay for mine and my wife's because we're over age 21. And so we start now. We're teaching these strategies to business owners. We're teaching these strategies to families and allowing them to do what we all – the reason why we – broke out into entrepreneurship well for me i'm just not that employable for over like 18 months after that you know i'm, I'm a great guy up until that point and then i'm a threat right. you know i'm a problem um and so because we wanted to live a certain lifestyle we wanted to have certain levels of freedom and this is part of where this freedom comes from and it's you know the bible says people perish for a lack of knowledge and i realize in this regard a lot of our money perishes by way of taxes, which is the number one expense that we all face is taxes. It's not your mortgage, it's taxes. And if we can learn how to use these things the way that they were designed for us with the knowledge that hasn't been widely dispersed, with this accountant with 31 years of doing this, and now we're creating all types of problems for him because he's old and he's looking to retire, and, you know, we're bringing we're opening the floodgates to this type of knowledge, because especially where we are in our world today, this is this is so powerful. And we combine it with other financial tools. And so it doesn't change the things that people want to do in their life, but it gives them the freedom to be able to say, I'm, I'm going to have much more control over the money that comes into our world. And then that's going to make a massive difference. So there's a there's, and I and I intentionally stay away from political hot buttons mm -hmm. on this show, right? Yeah. But there is a lot of talk with this current administration of raising capital gains, getting yeah. rid of 1031, and all of this other jazz. That would this particular 643 be something that you, that you're seeing that the government is also trying to get its teeth into to try to try to make it go away or increase the call it taxes penalties wherever else yeah well so like with with this strategy 1031 is not even necessary and as a matter of fact it also and you'll understand this even better than i do um, when it comes to buying and selling property no seasonings even required so property can be bought and sold the next day um, under it, any circumstances and the capital gains can be kept. So, you know, we're looking at if if the proposed tax legislation goes through, we're looking at almost a 
doubling capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. Because this trust is based on contract law and not legislative law, and it's been tried and failed miserably twice, because it's based on contract law and not legislative law, then there's nothing that Congress can do to change the power of this trust. It's the, copywritten. And the, been, the only thing that, that, I, I, that I get a little fearful mm -hmm. of that right now, mm -hmm. only because this has been a recent demonstration in the last October, November, December, January, February, March, 18 months, is when the government, and look, mm -hmm. look, <laughs> love or hate Trump, love or right. hate Biden, I don't care. Started on Trump's watch, yeah. still continuing into Biden's watch, was putting a rent moratoriums, yeah. right? Yeah. Which violated constitutional law mm -hmm. of private property ownership, right. right? Right. And so, and that's why I've been, like, even whenever the current president wanted to see this continued and mm. the Supreme Court said, nope, this is not happening. Right. And of course, he still kept continuing to push it. Mm -hmm. And this is not a a, a a dig on anybody. I'm just saying the, yeah. the reality is going on yeah. is those create those seeing something like mm -hmm. that happen mm -hmm. is creating a lot of fears right now because you're like, well, no, I mean, we've always had this protected by mm -hmm. this. And then now we had folks from both sides of the aisle right. that stepped in and said, no, nah, this is what we're going to do. Now, I get it. You know, the intention is for the betterment of the country and all that. And right. I, I understand the methodologies and the philosophies and everything. But I'm like, yeah, b but this is mine. <laughs> like, I've, I've you know, you and I, yeah. you know, hey, look, we, we, we ain't come from Silver Spoon. We right, ain't come right. from a lot of money, right. you know. I mean, might have cleaned a few of them, but right? <laughs> and 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 so to get to where I'm at now, mm. those are some of the fears that I have. Is like, yeah. what can the government come in and start doing that they've never been able to do before? And again, it's not a conversation right, about right, right. that. But I look at watching that for the last 18 months, mm. and then yeah. seeing like, hey, here's a benefit. Right, that right. Is, it hadn't been around for a week. Right, right. this has been right. around for a bit. Yeah, right, longer I mean, than our country actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is this is not something new. Mm -hmm. Is even though it may be protected contractually, mm -hmm. right? Is it the ultimate um, shield from things? And that, and I get a little curious. That, we yeah. don't have enough time today to go through that one. But I do let me tell you one up. thought that yeah. I have on that though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that's that's a very valid point, and yeah. it, it was a, a part of my initial concern. Because you know, if well, the minute I jump into it, yeah. then they're going to change the rules, right? Right. The problem is they would have to change the rules on the wealthiest people in this country. Yeah. That have had these things. Uh, the Rockefellers have had one specific trust that's been in effect for over 150 years. So the fact that they would have to go to those people. Mm -hmm. And change the rules for them, not likely to happen. And and this actually, this trust actually started in England when they were trying to keep the king from doing land grabs. That's where it originated, and then it came over. 
Wow. So even before our Constitution is where this trust actually that began. Is, that is that is fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. I had to get so. deep into it, man, because because yeah. I was you know because I was in you know high cotton as my grandfather yeah. used to say. <laughs> this is way over my head, you know, and you know, and, and I'm talking to lawyers and CPAs, and you know, it's something that they never heard because they go to school and they learn legislative yeah. law, and I found out something that blew my mind. Our government does not have the ability to tax any entity that it doesn't create. Say that one more time so I make sure myself and the audience yeah. process that. Our government cannot tax any entity that it doesn't create. Hmm. So the reason why you one of the reasons why you have a social security number <laughs> is because that actually makes your life a government entity. Interesting. And so if it wasn't created by the legislature, they don't have the authority to tax it. And that is the power of this trust. And and just and I know that this is <laughs> this could easily open us up to a five hour conversation is because <laughs> you, you did essentially say it is, you know, you know, don't wonder about what rich people are doing. Do what rich people are exactly. doing, right? So right. this is something that's been around for a long time, mm -hmm. and the, the wealthiest of folks have taken advantage of it naturally. Right. Even right. though right now everybody's, I, I find it really interesting of people that go, "Oh, you need to give more. You need to share more," and you know, and, and growing up, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have what I have today, right? And I remember a couple of years ago. Um, my CPA, uh, we were tax time and called me and said the size of the check I had to write to the IRS. <laughs> and this was not being behind. This was right. current. Right. Yep. This is what we were doing. And it was significantly larger than what the chief of police of Fort Worth PD made. Now, on one hand, I had a lot of people going, oh, well, think of all the money you made so that way you do get that honor to be able to do that. Yeah. And there was the other side of me that was like, well, the next time somebody goes, I don't have to work because yeah. I get a check from the government, I yeah. was like, no, you get a check from me. It's the yeah. government that prints it. Right, right. right? Yeah. Because then that really, I had elevated to another level mm. of wealth where now I was like, okay, you've got to start looking at things different. Because you're right, what you said a little while ago. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. That's it. Right? 100%. And how many people, like you were giving examples that dual income families, money coming in, money coming out, making really good money, but when the music stops playing, they're left without a chair. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And why is it okay for some folks to be able to take advantages of these things and not me? Right. I should be able to, right? Exactly. And, and from what I understand is your service basically – it's not basic server, mm. but if I had to sum it up in, mm. in like span language, right, <laughs> is you're here to be the educational component to show someone how to do this, yeah. that they do have access to this, right? they just don't know how to do it, exactly. and you're here to go back to that stage of even before going in the Marine Corps wanting to educate and teach exactly. people. That's it. And helping people. You know, and yeah. And... You know, it, it, you know, because look, I mean, yeah, is do we have people in this country that I, I, I do think that it gets played up a lot more than what it is? You know, when they go, oh, well, we have, you know, really, really impoverished people. I'm like, have you ever left the U.S.? <laughs> like, have you ever been in a third world country? So you're wanting to compare our poor to yeah. their poor? Yeah. 
Yeah. Man, I mean, matter of fact, let's go take a let's go take a, a field trip. Yeah. To another country like yeah. Brazil, where exactly. they live in shanty towns, and, and, and those you, you favelas. To, yeah. <laughs> your our poorest people look wealthy to these folks. You better believe it. And and so I think that's where yeah, I could go off on that tangent real quick. Oh yeah. But I also believe, and you and I've talked about this many a times, is regardless of who you are and where you came from, what the color of your skin is, what your religion is, what gender you are, mm. or choose not to be, or whatever, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Anybody can be successful in this country. Mm. I, I feel like I'm. You and I are both living proponents of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, what did it mean? It meant that I had to do a whole lot more work and maybe a lot of other folks had yeah. to go do, but I got there. Right. Right. Still yeah. continuing to be there. Right. And, and and so that's why when folks go, well, I just don't have the same advantages. I just go, no, you just don't have the same mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Change your mindset and you can change your life. Exactly. And where that starts is looking in the mirror, having an honest conversation with yourself of saying, hey, what what am I doing or not doing that I could be doing or not doing in order to get me to that next level? Right. 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 And um, you know, I think I, I think of this when I when I when I look at the Indian reservations, mm-hmm. right? And I see, you know, the poverty there in a cycle mm-hmm. where over generations and generations folks have not ascended out of there, and it's really easy. And I know people could. Leave whatever comments, disagree with me. <laughs> it goes back to what I told Urshel earlier. I really don't care. Right, right. Right. Is until you make a decision to change mm-hmm. where you're at presently. Right. Your future is your presence. Right. Your present. Right. Right. And you've got to do it. And guess what? Sometimes it requires hard work. Yeah. Sometimes it requires not getting some sleep yeah. and sacrificing and going to do that where you can get the benefits yeah. of it. And if you're the audience member out there and you want to know uh, how to circumvent and get a little bit more of a shortcut, call my man Urshel here. <laughs> so, Urshel, I like to end cap all these shows with, and I know we can tell ourselves at the age of 20 a million different things. Yeah. But if there was one, like you were like, hey, I got a note from from the past mm. that present day Urshel can go back in time and, and 20-year-old Urshel has said, I will listen to one thing. Mm. What would be that one thing you would tell self now 34 years ago? There you go. There you go. In there. I'm proud of it. I'd I'd, I'd be ashamed of it if I looked like it. But But what would you go tell self? You know, I... I, for me, I think it's it's really clear, and it's something. Um, and it may even sound kind of trite because, you know, it comes from the uh, some the habits of highly effective people. But as I look back over the course of my life, the accidental successes and some of the natural talents and abilities, and and some things that made certain aspects of life easy, um, with with the challenges that go along with it. I think that what I would say to 20-year-old Urschel is begin with the end in mind because that's how you live purposefully. Because you, and even though things might change, you know, you might start out with this, you know, great plan, you know, and the best laid plans of mice and men, right? And we got God laughing, falling off his throne. 
But still, when you begin with purpose, when you begin with a destination in mind and what you're trying to accomplish, at least at that point, you know whether you hit the target or not. You're not just, you know, shooting arrows and then going painting targets on the wall. You're starting out saying, this is where I'm going. And if I looked at that and said, at the end of my Marine Corps career, this is the result that I want. At the end of my time in this job or going into this relationship, this is the outcome that I want. You, you can, you'd make, I think I would made more quality decisions thinking about the future and where I wanted to be instead of just winning in that moment because that's just where the arrow happened to hit. You know, I just, you know, happened to do this and or I just happened to do that. How many people join the Marine Corps say, I just want to be a Marine. I don't care what job they give me. Well, you're not going to be a Marine forever. And then there's going to be life after that. So that that would be the one thing is to take every decision um, every major decision, smaller decisions, and begin with the end in mind, thinking about where I want to be. Man, that is, man, this is one of, one, one of the many reasons you and I have been <laughs> good friends for a long time and always had a lot of, you know, very paralleling thoughts because, mm-hmm. like, even with this fund that I had, when I took it to the investors, that's where I started, as I said, let's talk about the exit. Yeah. And then work our way back to yeah. how do we make entry. Right. Because... You, you need to have that goal. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I mean, like, even when I told my wealth manager many years ago, Tim Hatcher, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Tim. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and, and I said, this is what I want to retire with. Yeah. You know, I said, anything above this is, is, is extra gravy, right? Yeah. You know, I get two Sundays <laughs> instead of one Sundays at the at yeah. McDonald's or whatever. Right. And, and I said, because at this, I am exceeding a more than comfortable lifestyle. Right. And he said, this is what you need to do. This is the target financial targets you need to hit, right? Mm-hmm. And he said the same thing is when do you want to do this? And um, incidentally, it was kind of funny. I just said mm-hmm. August 2024. Wow. And then it was funny as I sold a friend's company forum to another friend mm-hmm. who I still have 90 minute Zoom calls with every mm-hmm. Wednesday, you wow. know, because he bought the company now four years ago. A year ago, he called me. He's like, I'm ready to get rid of this thing at discount. <laughs> I said, oh, you're ready to listen. So I've been coaching him through, you know, where now where he is a year for, from a year ago is significantly different. But the guy that sold the company, mm-hmm. Matt, is I had told him this. I said, yes, when I met my – and this was probably, man, we're talking this was a number of years ago. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I said, I've got it, you know, August 2024. And he goes, you know, my birthday's on August 24th. He goes, you should make it August 24th, 2024. And I said, wow. I said, you got a deal. And so when Tim, a couple of years ago, had said, hey, you need uh, an LLC for doing all your investment stuff through. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And he goes, what are you going to name it? And I said, I'm going to show you. And so the name of my retirement LLC is August 24th, 2024. Nice. LLC, because you're right, is you got to have that exit in mind. Mm-hmm. Now, does this mean I'm like retire before that or after that, whatever. Yeah. I get to make that decision right. as that time comes. But you've got to do it with the end in mind got because target. Because guess what? The end comes for all of us <laughs> on this planet sooner or later. That's right? it. That's I mean, it. death is is, is sure. Is, yeah. The day is long. That's right. 
So that's why I love I love the you know I, I promised the audience Urschel and I did not pre-plan what he would tell twenty-year-old <laughs> self. So people want to learn more about you, your business. Where, where do they go? You got a website, phone number, email. What, what would you like the audience? Sure. Say? Well, the great thing about having such a wonderful name like Urschel is I'm so <laughs> easy to find on the internet. Just start with a U, and and you'll pretty much get there really quick. But uh, you can go to epicoptimized.com. Uh, that's that's where you'll see you know part of my business. But the most important thing is you'll you'll connect to me, um, and we can point you in whatever direction you need to. But if you Google Urschel, you'll you'll find a whole bunch of stuff and maybe even some photos from the post office wall. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you'll see podcasts and things like that. But go to epicoptimized.com. That's where we focus most of our business and drive our traffic to. That's great. And in case you're driving and you're listening and didn't have a chance to write that down, you can always go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click mm-hmm. on podcast, scroll on down to Urschel. We'll have all the links there. And as always, if you happen to be looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet and want to make sure you don't get somebody who's an idiot, <laughs> click, that, click that little, uh, you know, find a trusted professional and we will get you connected just as we have Many years now helping people buy and sell real estate anywhere on planet. Urshel, thank you for coming, my friend. Thank you for having me, yeah, brother. I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. What'd you think?